go down in the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down in the woods today... Hi, I'm Casey. And I'm Matt. And this is Too Much Film School. Today we're going to talk about the film Cabin in the Woods. This is the uh, first full-length episode that we're reviewing a movie that we saw the trailer for. Right. I should warn people, before you get, get too far into this podcast, that it's going to be full of spoilers. Oh, yeah. Except that all of the spoilers were what we guessed from the trailer episode. Win for us! <laughs> but that's not really hard when the movie contains absolutely everything. <laughs> I think I might have said that with the trailer was that it looks like they just got every aspect of a horror movie so you could guess anything. <laughs> and maybe it's going to be one of those, but you're tired of guessing by the end. Actually, the answer was it's all of them. So there's your spoiler. Yeah, and even uh, you know a lot of horror movies end with everybody dies in the end. They took that a little far at the end of this film. Right. Uh, everybody dies at the end, unless there was somebody like orbiting the Earth at the, right. <laughs> the end of the film. Unless, I don't know, maybe the thing reached out and grabbed the space shuttle. But that's not to say it was predictable. The trailers were cut in a way that they gave away a lot of stuff, maybe unintentionally. Maybe I'm just hyper aware of what trailers are like, and so I knew that these things were going to happen in the film, but if I had walked into the movie cold, I don't think that the conclusion was necessarily the uh, most obvious ending of the movie. So it, it was trailers are always going to spoil uh, you know, some aspect of the film. Yeah, and seeing any horror movie would give away certain aspects of this because <laughs> it was doing a spoof of different horror aspects. It wasn't I use the word spoof there, but it was more homaging them in a way. And the movie is not a spoof, but I think one of the most misleading parts of the trailer is the suggestion that this is in fact a horror movie, when I thought it was a lot closer to comedy. They were lovingly, but still lampooning a lot of aspects of horror. Now, how would you describe Scream? Would, do you think that that's a horror movie or not? I think that's a thriller. Film and so I hate that designation. Yeah. Thriller is what you call a horror movie when you're a little embarrassed to say that you're. That's like what you call Silence of the Lambs because like you want to give it an Oscar and you can't give it. You can't call it a horror movie. So like let's let's call it Thriller. <sighs> Scream is a horror movie with funny elements in it, right? And there are thrilling aspects to it, but I mean it's they're trying to frighten you. And I feel like this movie there's definitely funny parts in Cabin in the Woods, and there are parts that made me laugh out loud, but. It was a horror movie that was funny, not a comedy to me. I think that something like Scream was maybe 15% comedy. There was there were parts, maybe 25, and that's higher than all horror movies have had comedic moments to lighten sure. the tension, to kind of break you out of that and go, oh, I was scared for a minute, but then we all laughed, and then when the killer comes back or stabs in the shade through the, the gate right there, it's even more frightening because they kind of, you're roller coastering. Scream maybe upped the ante by taking up to like 25% of the parts were comedic, but then they still got down to brass tacks of horrifying moments. This movie felt like it was at least 45 to 50% comedic moments. Yes, but the frightening moments were strong enough that I, when I got into my car afterwards, I still checked the back seat to make sure that there was nothing there. I still had nightmares that night. I still have nightmares when I see a scary movie. Um, it's really, every time I tell my wife this, she's like, well, why would you, why would you watch the horror movie then? <laughs> I'm like, cause it's fun and thrilling. Um, but whatever. Uh, I, I still feel like the core aspect of it was meant to frighten you. And because it's Joss Whedon, he just likes to have funny stuff happening. Um, but it's not 
but you weren't supposed to, you were still supposed to care about the characters and you were still supposed to root for them to survive this horrible circumstance and then be uh, frightened when they don't. I think another, another element maybe that's calling into question whether it's horror for me and might have with Scream is the postmodern self-referential nature of saying like, oh, well, in Scream they said horror movies did do this and they're calling out the bullet points as they're themselves going through them. And it's like, oh, well, since we're referencing them, they're not tired or cliche at this point because we know we're doing it. It's very postmodern. In this, they didn't call it out. And one of the things you said is that, oh, it looks like they're going to, this is them filming every horror movie ever, is that they're, the twist is that they are real and everything we've ever watched in the past has been the people really going through that, but they filmed it all and then pretended that it was a, a film right. that they made up. Um, this didn't use the word horror film ever. Right. And so it's interesting, but the fact that they bring up so many elements of it, uh, again, makes it that self-referential thing to where I can't really take it too seriously because they're calling out the, po the points as they're doing them. With Scream, though, I still felt like they let the horror sink in or they had the kind of iconography with the mask and people dying and even the score and music and like the beats really sank in once it was horror time. You were like, okay, now I should be uh, afraid or I should feel tension and things like that. This movie punctuated it a lot with comedy and didn't really let those elements breathe. Like, they didn't sink in as horror, and the fact that they had every horror element ever didn't really <laughs> give enough gravitas to the one that you're looking at. So that's one thing that maybe saps it, and it could kick us into kind of discussing the plot a little more for people that are wondering what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's get into it. One thing that right off the bat that surprised me, and I think this was... Well, I don't know if I know if, if I can say it's a good thing or a bad thing. They don't... I assumed from the trailer that the first 20 minutes or half hour was going to be kids in the... your basic kids in the woods movie where they're like, come on, gang, let's hop in the car and we're gonna go out in the middle of nowhere and then... and then the zombie torture redneck family comes after them. After one of them gets killed, we would pull back and realize that we're watching this on a monitor and then... and then reveal what turns out to be Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins. Instead, they took... they took it completely differently. They started with Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins almost like a... it felt like a... Tar like a small Tarantino movie where they're talking about nothing yeah. And they're just like, oh, I'm going to have a kid and like, you know, fuck that other, you know, the chemistry department. They're all jerks. Yeah. And they're trying to buy coffee from an old rundown like coffee machine in a break room. Right. And it's even, I mean, Richard Jenkins was in Burn After Reading, like the Coen Brothers level of flatness that he, and he pulls that off very well. Right. It's and very this good. felt like that same tone of them just discussing them. You're like, this is a horror movie? And then the, the title card comes up. It's them. In an underground, what we see is a facility. They get in a golf cart and they're just driving to, you know, their workstation or whatever. And it slams this violent red text on the screen like it's a Grindhouse movie of Cabin in the Woods. That was the first funny part in the asynchronicity of, like, that level of title card for, like, what should be a horrific Grindhouse thing. And they're just talking about his wife trying to get pregnant. Now, that did confirm to me, watching it, that I was, I was at least partially right that these guys were going to observe the you know, Cabin in the Woods storyline that is where the story ends up going. Um, now their motivation is not something that I guessed, but we'll get to that. Um, I should also mention, we sat through the credits as we always do, and there was a credit for title design for the pick company. All it was was red text on the screen. Just like the basic impact font that you see on every like internet meme, but it was red. And I was like, that's title, how much did you guys get paid yeah. for this? I'm a little upset. 
that you get credit in the film for this. It was very well done, Ty. You could have done it in the just the the credit creator in Final Cut <laughs> would have sufficed. It was really not. Uh, it was not seven. Is is all. For as simplistic as it was, still inspired. Uh, Moving on. We then uh, <laughs> finally catch up with kids at their college, you know, off-campus housing, like getting ready for their weekend out and establish a lot of the... It's sort of basic introduction to characters in this sort of movie. There's four or five of them. Later on in the film, it seems like what they were trying to do was establish that these five characters don't fit the five basic character tropes that horror movies will have, which they even elucidate are the jock, the nerd... The slutty girl, the virginal girl, and the goofy guy. And it's usually a guy, although occasionally it's a girl. Um, and they have five characters that can sort of fit that, except the virginal girl has slept with her professor recently. Right. And the guy who's the nerd is also the best athlete on their football team. Yep, and the uh, the jock like tells her a, a better book to read in the, the Russian or communist country economics. It seems like the characters that the writers created, that the writers of the film who are Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon as we discussed, writers of Buffy, Joss Whedon created it. I feel like those writers created five characters that could fit into the five basic slots and then our villains just assigned them to the wrong slot. That Chris Hemsworth could have just been the nerdy character even though he's a little bit of a big guy for right. that character. And Kristen Connolly, you could just say, oh, she's sleeping with a professor. Well, she's a slutty girl, you know? Yeah. Like, they, there's nothing there's nothing about these characters. I, I they, they still did not feel like well-rounded characters to me but when I was watching it. One extra thing. They could have gone a different way. Yeah, and it, it wasn't like any one of them was, you know, a communist rabble-rouser or something. <laughs> like, like, just doesn't fit at all. Right. But then later they do explain that the... Puppet masters, you know, Bradley Whitford uh, and them underground, like, kind of push them towards the roles. They put chemicals in Anna Hutchinson's uh, hair dye to make her dumber. And so she's now a blonde and getting dumber, even though she's a pre-med student. So they're they're pushing Tim towards these roles to make them fit. Uh, and it's interesting to see, but that is actually one of the things that I wondered about the movie is what they chose to explain and what they didn't like we know why she's getting dumber and then once they're out in the woods they're spraying like pheromones out and so that's why she's getting even sluttier uh but they didn't explain like why chris hemsworth's all of a sudden much more machismo jock and calling the other guy egghead when he you know is much smarter himself and things like they clearly could have been putting something in the beer like testosterone they don't give a line about that and the things that they choose to explain and the things that they don't was one thing that I wondered about. I don't want everything spoon-fed to me, but if you leave, put some things in and leave others out, it makes me wonder why. It was not entirely clear. I think they just figured you'd be like, oh, well, if they did it to her, they must have figured some other way to do it to him. But yeah, it's not, it's not entirely clear. Yeah, and a lot of it comes down to, I mean, some deus ex machina, even though we see the machines and we know they're doing it, still you wonder about, like, the how of they're doing it. The main one that stuck out to me was what I saw in a trailer where Chris Hemsworth says, we've got to stick together. And then there's some vapory cut. And then he goes, we better split up. And I thought in the trailer that they had cut those two lines and put them together. But no, in the movie, he says that they flip a switch and some gas comes out. And I'm like, what kind of gas? I mean, it could dumb you down, but makes you reverse positions 180 degrees on whatever you just said. And more importantly, make the specific stupid suggestion that they need for their story to continue. Yeah. Like, 
I mean, pheromones don't actually work that, like, you could just spray a pheromone and suddenly be- someone becomes horny. Like, that's not... But it's close enough yeah. for movie logic to be like, ah, fine, they spray pheromones and she's horny. But yeah, like, hit the stupid gas? What is that even supposed to be? Like, right. it, it, it annoyed... That was, like, the biggest hole to me just because it was right there on screen. It wasn't a subtle shift like most of the other characterization stuff was. It was a dress. It was a 180-degree turn in literally three footsteps, yeah. made no damn sense whatsoever. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Right. Back in the storyline, they're driving out into the woods, and uh, there was even the line, again, in the trailer that I found obnoxious of, well, that's the point, right? Get off the grid for it's not on GPS. I thought I was really going to hate Fran Kranz in this, which he was good in uh, Dollhouse, and then I've seen him in like one other thing. must have been the only thing. good thing in Dollhouse, because it was a terrible show. Dollhouse was interesting, and <laughs> this reminds me a lot of it, in that there were sci-fi elements and there was a lot of suspension of disbelief. You had to really let it a lot go in the fantasy, but it was mainly... Like the, the idea that Eliza Dushku could act? Right, there's that. <laughs> or uh, just the programming people and things. But the main problem with Dollhouse was that it's supposed to be this big conspiracy and like, oh, this huge uh, corporation that has all this power and influence and controls these, you know, replaceable people that they can imprint and everything. And yet we only ever saw five people working there. Like, the number of problems on that that were just limitations, I think, on the budget on the show. Yeah, guest, uh, guest actors for one line. Exposed a lot of holes. And this movie had a similar structure of, like, oh, there's this big thing. They had a lot more extras and people, but it was still a lot of, like, the functional problems where it's like, really? That's uh, how this company runs? Or you don't have a guy for that? <laughs> Elements like that came up. Right. And they, a lot of them do come down to the, how does this structure work? You know, like, where, whose responsibility are these things? Or <laughs> why is that gas making like that? Like, they explain some things, but not others. Yeah. Uh, getting back into the story, the we sort of stick with the five kids for a little while. They, they go out in their camper van, and they're going to a cabin which to me is weird it's like you have a camper van either you're going camping in in the rv or you're going camping in the cabin why do you have both (laughs) they had a line that it was his dad's and maybe it's the biggest vehicle they have to transport five people i've driven to san francisco with five people in my little corolla like if you i know what it's like in college (laughs) and a motorcycle on the back available you would want to take that so i didn't have a problem with that but then i wouldn't go to the cabin (laughs) i'd just be like let's hang out they need different places to have sex when there's (laughs) those people are over there and then you want the camper but yeah they drive out and they stop at the gas station which was a big part in the trailer and uh, a guy comes out and is, you know, scary and rude and backwoodsy and everything like that. And I really didn't like that in the trailer because it was so kind of one-dimensional and yeah. cliche. And then after they leave, he says, he clearly calls someone and says, the lambs have come to the killing floor. And I was like, oh my god, this is just such a cheesy line. <laughs> but the brilliant thing about this movie is that the other side of that conversation is Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins with him on speakerphone. And he's saying all these what sound like cheesy as hell lines, and they're busting up because they are cheesy. And then he figures out he's on speakerphone, and he calls him on. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, let me take you off. And he doesn't, and it just (laughs) keeps going. And that's the parts where I'm saying this is more of a comedy. Because they call out those cheesy elements from a horror film and laugh at them within the movie. I feel like those, those definitely were funny. And they are calling out the horror elements, but that's because that character, like... That doesn't affect how we feel about our five main kids 
and and whether we think they should survive or not. Basically, what that scene does is that it gets us to humanize the villains because the real villains aren't the zombie torture redneck family. The real villains are Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford, and then eventually Sigourney Weaver. Uh, but like, it's basically those two guys, and really, it's the company, but they represent the company, you yeah. Know? Um, and, and everything, and the company's, you know, human sacrifice. Well, so it's not, it's not the zombies that are the problem, it's them two, and we're getting to know their character and the fact that they've stopped identifying with the horror that they are, uh, perpetrating. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things, like, the, the pre-credit conversation about his wife trying to get pregnant is, again, humanizing to them and just shows us these are regular people, which is another element that reminded me of Dollhouse a lot in that, oh, it's this big evil company, but the character Topher, you know, Frank Kranz, you like because he's so smart. Even though he's doing this to these people, he's just a cog, you know, and he's a likable cog. And it kind of does go through each of them, and even in Dollhouse shows the, you know, the director lady's motivation for a lot of things. So it's similar theme of, like, it's not the individuals, it's what this they're all doing together, and it's small, slippery slope things of, like, that and then they do become detached from the horror of what they're doing which might in and of itself be a theme for horror movies and desensitizing of public and people but this movie I, is just begging for us to recognize that all of the characters in the company are us in the right, audience like that we're putting these characters through and not recognizing the horror and cheering it on and you know placing bets on on what the monster is going to be and how they're going to get killed, and hoping that they get killed up until the end. Like, all of that stuff is, we're supposed to feel guilty as an audience that that's what we do every time we see Halloween 14 or right. something. Um, I didn't feel guilty. I thought it was pretty funny. But, uh, <laughs> and you're the problem right. that, they're, that they're calling out. One of the things I also liked about the interaction with the gas station guy was that from the trailers, I thought, oh, it's going to be a cult thing of, like, they're sacrificing them, or it's going to be a hostile... Let's kill people for enjoyment. Right. But the the gas station guy's line of, oh, the lambs are in the killing floor, made it feel like a cult, but other elements, like in the trailer, they revealed the elevator that goes down under the thing and the big webbed LCD electric fence bubble that's around the whole thing. And I was like, those are huge corporate, you know, raccoon city level things that wouldn't really fit in with a cult of like, oh, we're just all believers. And so I'm going to invest $40 million into this enterprise. You have to be, you know, pretty crazy along those. And getting enough people on board with the crazy isn't really, you know, it has to make money as well or something. <laughs> so, like, I didn't think the cult angle would work on the scale they have it as. But with the explanation they ultimately get to that this is a large sacrifice that they've had to do for centuries. And it's to keep the uh, gods at bay was actually an elegant solution for the problems I saw with the how wide scale this has to be and the level of belief, you know, on that guy's part. It was a weird balance because it was... You think it's a horror movie, but it's actually a sci-fi movie, but it's actually a supernatural horror movie right, like, with science on top of it. Like, and like a fantasy Wrath of the Titans yes. ending. The bad guys are basically the Umbrella Corporation. Right, and that's one uh, movie that I would equate this to is... The Resident Evil. The Resident Evil series... Um, in that those also, to me, didn't feel like horror movies. They have zombies and they're shooting everything, but they feel like action movies. It's not like I'm uh, terrified of the zombies or anything because I know she's going to win out or the action trumps 
the you know zombies they don't like stop and think of the horrors it's just oh what big bad boss can we mutate into now which it arguably gets itself from the video games it's based on uh but this also felt like a movie that has horror aspects into it but i wouldn't classify as horror those i would definitely throw into action movies it's just action movies where the instead of fighting terrorists or the russians they're fighting zombies I don't think they ever tried to, to frighten you where the character's in a dark room and they're backing into the corner and then the monster comes out from behind them. Like, those things don't happen in the Resident Evil movies, really, where they do happen here. Like, they, there really are the, the angles and the editing and the long takes and the, the music all contributes to being a horror film, at least when they're in the cabin, part of it. It does because they're doing a horror movie a la, like, Evil Dead the original, I mean, for as much as that's become, like, I find that in video stores and things, in the comedy section. That, All of the Evil Dead series. That's a weird series. I feel like the first one is is genuinely a horror film. Right. And, the, and the parts that are funny are not intended to be funny. And the second one is sort of a mix, and then the third one is just like, fuck it, we're making a comedy here with right. zombies. And so that series is a weird... Like, you got to put the three movies together. Yeah. <laughs> and I get why you put them into into comedy at that point. But the first one... It was trying for it. It just was hilarious how <laughs> bad it was. But this feels like it's doing those level of elements. The cabin even looks like the Evil Dead cabin. It's very close. Uh, so when they have those shots, I'm more thinking, oh, like an Evil Dead. Or, <laughs> this is really classic. More so than I'm afraid right now. Uh, you talked about with the monsters jumping out. I mean, we're getting that point so they get to the cabin they kind of party um they go into the cellar yeah this <laughs> the clearly the the bad decision gas is is working on that when right. the cellar door opens they're like let's go down and they do and it's sort of like at that point you're sort of starting to figure out that there is some influence going on because they keep talking about the chemical com the chemical department yeah and i was sort of rolling with it at that stage because we hadn't seen them later on they specifically cue the pheromones right and at this point we hadn't seen we hadn't seen that level of control from Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins and their the chemistry assistant Amy, Amy Acker actually i was going to call out Amy Acker before because she is in every Joss Whedon, like, she was in Angel and Buffy. She was in uh, Dollhouse for a big part. So she, her showing up, I was like, oh, Joss Whedon and his stable of people. <laughs> so. Yeah, she's uh, definitely likable in this and, and works as a good foil for those two guys. Yeah, and the overall, like, tone, speaking of Buffy and those things, like, this felt like those level, like, amplified. Right. Buffy and Angel to where... There weren't horrific things. They Some of the episodes got really low into, you know, her mom dying or things like that. But a lot of them were like, oh, killing vampires. We the, the show evolved. I think the early seasons, we keep arguing about this point, but I feel like in the early seasons they were genuinely trying, especially like the pilot, they were yeah. trying to make it, this is a horror movie, but the, the blonde virgin fights back. But they still tried to make scenes scary, for the, at least during the high school years. Yeah. They sort of gave up on it as, as right. they went further along. Uh, and that's... To me, is I feel like it does remind me of Buffy, but I'm coming to a different conclusion that it reminds me of Buffy in that it was, a, it was a horror story with comedic elements in it. But I don't know if we're ever going to agree Well, this. I don't know if we'll agree or if it's just a, a splitting hairs or a level of percentage. Like I said, this might be like 55% comedy, and yes, the other 45 is horror, and maybe you put the, the division elsewhere. 
We'll have to go through and count line by yeah, line. Exactly. This one's coming. I'll, I'll give you that horror. Um, but when they go into the cellar, it was actually uh, very kind of tense and spooky looking. But I still didn't jump when she turned around and there was a picture there. And it's one of those startling moments where the character is like, oh, there's something. Because I kind of knew that there was going to be something standing there. I sort of felt like it was just bad editing. Because I was like, I can see clearly that that's a photograph. I'm not sure why she... Or a painting. I'm not sure why she jumped. <laughs> like, right, when you the, need to edit it in such a way that I, that I think it's a person too. But I feel like that's a failure on the filmmaker's part. Not in the uh, their attempt to make it horror. Yeah, but if they try for something and fail at it, that doesn't mean the product is still the thing they're trying to make it. <laughs> oh, they no. failed in that respect. So that part, I didn't jump, and I didn't have any other part where they turned and something jumped up. Like the uh, after the redneck zombies rise, like Fran Kranz is in his room. He's Marty, the stoner one, if people keep wondering about the name. Uh, and he sees the camera. He finds it, and he's like, I'm on a reality show? And he's standing in front of a window. He, like, backs up to it, even. The staging is pretty ham-handed there. And then the zombie arm... We've, and yet, Bradley Whitford said, oh, he figured it out. Don't worry, here comes Jedediah, or whatever. And we see an outside shot of the zombie walking up to the window. So it's not surprising or startling when the zombie arms come through the window. Because I knew it was going to happen. Yes, all of that stuff was there, except that... I wasn't sure if he was going to realize that the window was behind him or if it was going to pop up like from the bed or something ridiculous or from the ceiling or something ridiculous. So you like, know something's going to pop up, but the question is where is it coming from? Yeah, that's what's called suspense. That's what suspense is. I was waiting. It's the they get on the it's the Hitchcock thing where it's two guys playing poker and it's a boring conversation and they suddenly explode and you're like, "Oh, that was surprising." Or you see someone plant a bomb under the poker table. And then the guys are playing poker and it's a boring conversation. Except it's really tense because you want them to leave because you know there's a bomb there. Like one of them gets up to get a glass of water. You're like, oh no, he's gonna, one of them's gonna die, one's not. Then he comes back with the water. You're like, oh no, why did he come back with the water? And then the bomb explodes. That's suspense and tension. And that's what him standing by the window was. Because we know the tropes and we know that the monster should come out from the window. Right. We're waiting for that to happen. You're saying it's expected, but you don't know exactly when it's going to happen. You don't know how much of his weird stoner talking to himself. Narrowing it down within 30 which of these 30 (laughs) seconds is it going to happen is not enough suspense for me. So, I'm sorry. I was waiting and it... Every second was agonizing for (laughs) me. It was. I thought it was was tense. And I did know that he was going to come through the window... Although I did sort of expect him to come either from someone else or from him, or for him, because they do undermine the horror frequently. Right. So I expected him to like take a step away, and the and the zombie misses him when he jumps through the window, which would have been hilarious, but would have undermined the horror. Which, but a they lot didn't of do that. In the movie so did. it was horror. <laughs> so I mean, that would have been Shaun of the Dead level, which I'll give you. They weren't that far towards comedy. I. Shaun of the Dead is a hor- is a comedy with horror elements, and the horror elements are really well no, done yeah, the, in Shaun of the Dead. But it are, is meant to be a comedy. That one I'd go 70% comedy, and then the 30% like horror elements are really good. Like, And his mom dying is like pretty That's gut-wrenching. That's really surprising how gut-wrenching. Even yeah. the dad, even the stepdad. Yeah, so those elements, I'm not saying Shaun go of the Dead, watch Shaun of the Dead. is <laughs> a bad movie for being a comedy, but it is a comedy. Yes, it is so, a comedy. I feel like this is... This is... like I. Dialed it back. This is somewhere between Scream and Shaun of the Dead. Exactly. But I think it's more towards Scream. All right. Dead anyway, center. We're gonna, so, not going to give up we're on We're in this. the cabin. <laughs> Cell, root cellar. I thought the root cellar was actually one of the better dressed kind of areas. A lot of the things when they go out and they're like, oh, the cabin, it looked a little 
set like or you know and which it should because they manufactured it, it. Set, yes. and then they go into the woods and the pheromones are coming up and I'm like this all looks fake which I'll let it go the basement or the root cellar did actually look pretty creepy and all the elements that were lined up I'm like those are actually some scary props I can't imagine what's like and I am curious if the set decorator or the prop guy went through saw the whatever was written on the whiteboard and came up with a thing for each one of the there was like 20 different yeah. kinds of potential monsters and we don't know it at the time as we're going through the scene although I did sort of suspect that whatever item they did something to it would then call that monster the virgin girl reads the the notebook in latin which is obviously evil dead and then the monsters climb out yeah they the whiteboard was actually another really funny scene where everyone's yes. betting and you could see on the board sugar plum fairy and merman and then Bradley Whitford won, like had bet on the merman and it's never the merman. It's never the merman. And Richard Jenkins making fun of him, but in a very believable way. Richard Jenkins' dry wit in this is just perfect. Uh, and so once we got to the basement, I actually was looking at, they were playing with each of them. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of like a Hellraiser cube, but it's a sphere. And they're playing with each of them. And I did have a dawning moment of, oh, wow, each one of them. And they look enthralled and like the girl's about to put the necklace on them. And I did have a moment of realization that whichever one they chose, we call them. And then she interrupts, and I'm like, oh, so close to... But I didn't realize she had chosen one with that. And then they have the uh, redneck zombies rise, and then everyone is happy or, you know, upset that their bet lost, except for, what was it, um, except for maintenance. And Who the always intern. bets on the zombies. Yeah. yeah, and the intern. And the intern was actually from Buffy. She and, was one of the trio of bad yeah. guys. So that was another shout-out or a little jokey thing. And then we hear Bradley Whitford wish it was a merman and just <laughs> wanted to see one. So those parts are funny to the part where we see the zombies rising on the ground. And I'm like, oh, really? That Like, that's not horrific because it was backed by this joking. And I actually thought that they were rising through magic. Like the Latin had been an incantation and they were rising. And I was like, not only is it a big corporation that's manufacturing all these things, but magic is real now too. <laughs> like the the them, I was like, seriously, we're doing this. It's not just a, a corporation or a cult pulling strings and having actors go in there like zombies and actually cut them up for their own fetishistic, you know, cult love or for filming it. There's actually zombies. Those will reanimate. So that was kind of a dawning moment for me to where I'm like, what's going on? Because now it's like a you know. See, I feel like that's a different kind of horror because we're seeing them not identify with the main characters the way that we do, and they're not particularly concerned with whether the characters live or die. In fact, they're rooting for the characters to die, and they're making bets on how they're going to die. It's sort of like in a Roman movie where people are placing bets on the gladiators, where you're, like, following the gladiator characters. Like, it's not horrific. It's not scary, but it's horrific. And... What they're doing is funny, but the fact that it's funny is horrific. And so I was leaning toward... I, I still laughed at all of the jokes, but cutting to the zombies and realizing how dangerous they were made me think badly of those characters and be horrified by them. And I think that's... I think that, again, point in the horror column. <laughs> okay. Uh, for a frame story and everything like that, yes, they are... What they're doing is horrific, and it, again, parallels us as the audience being desensitized. But cutting those back to back, the zombies just had no gravitas because of that, that they were on a whiteboard with the Sugar Plum Fairy and a number of other things. I like, thought the presence of them, the fact that they were huge and had like horrible weapons, nope. gave them gravitas to me. I, I saw them and I'm like, yeah, push them over. They're just, <laughs> I, I didn't know if I was still expecting them to be actors, but I'm like, they're, the whole movie was not geared toward one bad guy. 
like her reading that diary was actually pretty horrifying. So I'm like, whatever movie that's from, <laughs> like that sounds really scary. The crazies or whatever, you know, uh, Hills Have Eyes level of cult people those are. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a horrifying movie. But we're just reading one prop from it. And then these people show up in this movie when we haven't spent the time to set up, oh, this family like eats people and things. It doesn't give them the screen time or the, the space to breathe and for us to really, it really to sink in. Because to me, I think the, the monsters are, uh, this sounds pretentious, but the monsters are the people working for the company. And the, the zombie rednecks are just tools. the tools or the hands, and they're an extension. They're not the real villain. Right. Uh, so they're the tools of the company, but you keep going back to Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins and Amy Acker and them. They're the real bad guys, except that if we flash forward to the end, they're saving humanity. That's they're... a discussion for the end. Let's, right. let's so save that. I just want to say, for as much as you keep bringing up, they're the bad guys, I'm going to debunk that towards the end of this. So, okay. back in the cabin, they uh, read the text and then uh, all go back upstairs and say, that was spooky. You said that the zombies were not horrifying enough because they hadn't built up to it. One thing that I found lacking, because they were... When the one thing I found lacking was the first time I saw them, I assumed they would not be the only monsters that we saw because the makeup was not really that good. And I don't know if it was the makeup itself or if it was the way that they were lit. They were lit. It was, you could see them very clearly. Yeah, they were pretty flat lit. And I did not I did not buy the makeup. It felt like makeup to me, but not like, like you said, like you thought they were within the film actors yeah. made up. Like it felt like it was just poorly done. But, it, but later on, and so I assumed that we were going to get wave after wave of different monsters, right. which is what they discussed. Um, when it turned out, they sort of lasted for a good 40 minutes. Like, yeah. sort of the middle chunk of the movie, they're the main monsters. Right. And then later on, we see a whole bunch of monsters, and a large number of them were CGI. And the CGI, to me, was flawless. Like, I didn't... Even, like, giant tentacle creatures attacking right. people, and the bat things eating people's heads, all of that, I was like, this looks really good. And I was like, that's a sad statement on the state of you know, horror movies today that a low-budget movie like this, the CGI looks photorealistic, but the makeup artists have lost the skill to make it look right, or the DP has lost the skill to light makeup the way monster makeup is supposed to be because he's used to lighting tennis balls that's going to be filled in with monsters later. Yeah, they just weren't real great, and in terms of them not being scary enough, um, one of them is throwing around a bear trap and, like, they're a little ridiculous. They, he uses it like a grappling hook. <laughs> he throws it at the blonde girl's back, it grabs her, and he's dragging her off. I'm like, that's really just a bear trap you're throwing, huh? <laughs> They close, like, on limbs and things and snap it. You have to put something in it to snap it off. If it's just trying to bite a flat surface, like a wall, you know, it's not going to... If, I feel like if you threw it at someone's back, it would pinch their skin and shirt and then tear off and be like, that hurt. Or the fact that it weighs 40 pounds of metal would knock you over and you'd be like, ow, but I don't think it would latch into you like a grappling hook that you could then pull back. I don't think it could latch in a little bit. I feel like it's either sort of scraping like you said, or if it hit the, if your back hit the trigger, it would then crush around your torso right. and rip you nearly in half. It, I mean, it, it breaks limbs and if it's closing on your spine, you're dead. Like, that's... I would be... Like, that's one or the other. That way, too. If it were a little bigger and could wrap around your midsection and, like, get into the sides. But, yeah, using the grappling hook method was weird. And I sort of took it as... They understood the filmmakers, Joss Whedon, Drew Goddard, and the production designer prop guys and all of those people sort of understood 
we need to create a monster that the audience will immediately understand what's going on here that we don't have to have a lot of exposition for. Because, again, right. the real villains are the, is the company, which do we even have a name for the company no. slash cult? Um, they're the real villains, so the monster, we just sort of have to come up with something that reads quickly, but it also needs to be semi-original. Like, it couldn't just be straight-up Leatherface yeah. or the Hills of Eyes things. So they're like, what are we going to do? Bear trap. Throw a bear trap on a chain. That sort of makes... They're, go with it. They're hill folk. They'd have these things handy. Yeah. Um, they've never been outside of Los Angeles or New York in their lives, so they don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so it didn't make a ton of sense, but I was like, ah, they're just going for something just slight variation of what you've seen before just to move the story along. And, and I was sort of accepting of it. Right, I was accepting of it, but that's also why they weren't horrifying and when you get to but the, again the, the corporation was a big <laughs> no guys. no that's not what i was gonna say <laughs> again the the they're not horrifying was a failure on the filmmakers part not a they weren't trying they were trying to make comedy it was a mistake and yet the result regardless of film <laughs> you thought the bear trap was comedic i thought it was just yeah wrong <laughs> it was somewhat comedic in that it undermined horror parts especially i think another thing that the zombies didn't feel uh, as much weight on is that they have a whole pantheon of nightmares uh, in the, that we find out about beneath the surface, and they didn't feel like the strongest. Like, we see the uh, pinhead-looking guy when they with go the down. Buzz soft with his head? Yeah, he's clearly pinhead. Yeah, he's got so a puzzle sphere instead of a puzzle box. cube. Yeah. Uh, those elements were a little on the nose for me. I'm like, it's clear who he's supposed to be. Uh, and yet he felt so much more scary because he's just staring wordlessly at her through the glass, and I was like... He, he could have made some good well, wreckage upstairs. Imagine the reverse, though. If you had the pinhead-looking guy, yeah. you'd be like, fuck, pinhead, and then we cut to, you know, later in the film, we just see Zombies. this creepy zombie redneck family. You're like, why didn't we use the creepy right. zombie rednecks? It could have gone either way with all of them, but that's the problem you set up when you have this whole cavalcade of horrors, and it's like, wow, that would have been good. Ooh, or that. If you hadn't put those in front of my face, I wouldn't question the one you went with, <laughs> because... I, but I, everyone's going to have that slightly different one. Like, I thought the ballerina with no face was sort of, you know, freaky. Anybody watching this movie is going to have their favorite monster. Like, right. there's somebody who thought the bat things probably would have been the better choice. And there's a question of taste, which is just sort of random, and that's the one that Drew Goddard liked. And then there's also a question of expense. The pinhead guy is probably not any more expensive than the zombie rednecks. Yeah. But, you know, the flying bat things are like, well, we're not going to do CGI for the, the middle chunk. We're going to try and avoid that and save that for the big finale. So, I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but it's also like, it, it's a question of taste. Yeah, if they had just upped the zombies a little bit more, I probably wouldn't have had the problem. Like, if they did the makeup a little better, didn't have the bear trap part. Um, they do go after they split up, like, the blonde chick gets killed after she takes her top off and it's... Another comedy kind of moment where they're in the control room watching. Uh, and their security guard, Truman, uh, says, like, is this really necessary? And like, then he pokes his head in the background and it's funny. Yes. But they also say the, the people down below are watching. It alludes to kind of the end twist or frame story. Although, yeah, right then I was like, oh, the Satan or the old ones yeah. are in this. I, re I read it as Satan too, but I still, for much of this, thought your uh, result of, oh, this is how horror movies get made could still be pulled off, even if it was for a, we have to gratify uh, the old ones or, you know, the devil get, has to get his due, and we just cut it on the side and release it nationwide <laughs> at, as a horror movie to fund all this. Like, I thought, they, would be kind of awesome. thought they were going to put in a line like that, and the fact that they didn't, or the fact that they didn't 
uh, call out any of the horror movie elements the way Scream did of like, like Fran Kranz says, are you guys serious? Don't read the Latin. He doesn't say, haven't you ever seen a horror movie? They never use those words. I feel like at, after Scream, there was a long run of horror movies that were sort of shittier that where the character would say, I've seen too many horror movies to go into that hole. And like that has become a cliche to, yeah. to call out, I've seen horror movies, therefore don't do X. Right. Don't and split up. Don't read Latin. I'm happy that he didn't use that phrasing, but it was pregnant in the air. <laughs> it's like in The Walking Dead where they're going around. I'm like, have you, is this a world in which they don't have zombie fiction? Like they're, they're not using the word zombies ever. And it's like, do they not know what these are? This is an alternate reality. Like it just calls up like, why don't they at least use that word? Yeah. So that was kind Which of Which was actually a super realistic part of Shaun of the Dead is where they someone starts to say zombies and they're like, "Let's not admit that because yeah. that that is a crazy thing to say." Yeah. But like they're aware that there are zombie films. Right. And they at least dealt with that in a uh, right. cheeky funny fashion. I think though that in this case it's so obvious that they're going for the idea of this is a horror film mm-hmm. that you don't need to spell it out and I don't think there's anything missing other than than this, you expected something to be commented on, and it wasn't. Right, but it's a large expectation. I was waiting for it. The fact I'm glad that they didn't, but it feels like you would have to acknowledge. It's like I said with Dollhouse, some of the things where you're like, how would they do this, or why wouldn't, like, why would people sign up to have their minds wiped with the promise that you're going to pay them a lot of money later when they would think, wait, you don't have to give me my mind back. Like, a lot of the logic of the characters when they do these things. They have a contract. Oh, right. (laughs) While that is a problem, I guess I just can't think of another alternative besides calling it out or doing the Shaun of the Dead thing where you sort of expressly not call it out. Right. Like, if Truman kept saying, this reminds me of Evil Day. Don't say Evil Dead. You know. Well, I wasn't even looking for the people in the control room to call it out uh, unless they said, hey, we cut these together. They're clearly horror movies. They had the Japanese feed on there and it was... The ring. Ring and uh, things. So there were clearly recognizable ones to where I thought they would say something like, oh, we cut these out and then just distribute them commercially. I was almost happy that they didn't do that as well because then it would be more meta like you had talked about where, oh, every horror movie ever made was just this, which we can read that into it, but they don't spell it out or spoon feed it to us. Another problem I had that came up in the scene where Anna Hutchinson is killed is they keep cutting to Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins watching the monitors. And so we see shots of the monitors and one specific shot hit me on the head, but this happened a lot. Chris Hemsworth and Anna Hutchinson lay down onto the ground, and there's like an overhead shot that sort of looks like a security camera. And then the the security feed cuts to a camera on the ground, and they fall perfectly into frame into a great medium shot. And I was like, how did they put the camera right? Now, you can have a camera on this field where you were attracting them with the dumb gas, sure. But that exact spot, that's ridiculous. And it happened a lot with the security footage. And I was like, why can't it just be a high over, overhead security camera so that you can keep track of things? It, it just didn't make any sense. That seems like a conscious decision to me. They didn't want a bunch of zooming around and, oh, got him, you know, tracking. It almost felt like they, A, had cameras everywhere. And he was a technical director cutting to, you know, take three and cutting to pre-frame shots. And B... It just makes it feel even more like the security footage they have, they could ship out and would be a horror movie. But it still doesn't make, even if they were putting out finished horror films, 
how do they know to put the camera there? It's just well, not possible. That, that falls into the what is the gas that makes you reverse? <laughs> Those are the like Deus Ex Machina or MacGuffin-y things of like you're just saying words. Words. <laughs> it's not a MacGuffin. <laughs> Those are the logicals or suspension disbelief things where they're just like, yeah, don't question that part. And I was fine with that, but they add up. There's a lot of them. Uh, the reason I call this one out more than any other is that this movie is dying for us to compare it to horror films, and. So we're thinking about the process of filmmaking while you're watching it. Like, it's unavoidable, just like Scream. If I'm thinking about the process of filmmaking and you make a shot that can't be done, that bothers me. I'm, it's going to take me out of the scene in a way that I don't think they intend. You and very few people, so I think they, they let that percentage go. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like the, the horror movie audience, for some reason, is more cinematically savvy than, than, than others. Yeah. Somehow it attracts film nerds, and I'm not entirely sure why. And they're more aware of the nature of the fact that their genre is very prescribed in terms of the story and the plot and the characters. Right. That to the point where you couldn't do an action movie where there's the the good cop and his who's retiring and the young cop and like this is the plot is that we have to you know to to appease some god or something like th that they are forcing themselves to go through this. Um, you couldn't have that in an action film because the action audiences wouldn't really understand that i don't think like not yeah. the not the majority of the action audience whereas the majority of the horror audience understood this film as a metaphor for filmmaking so again i still uh, the target audience would even though you're saying it's a small percentage it's a larger right. percentage than I you think, think that a, a larger percentage than the ones that were pissed off about this recognize this as a metaphor for filmmaking and horror films and the overall genre and i think another 70 percent of the people that went to it and are increasing box office didn't get that. So I think you're giving, yes, horror fans, like diehard cineast uh, fans do like the horror genre more, but I think those same action fans also went and saw this and went, oh, they got cut up and there were boobs <laughs> and then for some reason there was a big god hand at the end that smacked <laughs> people down. I didn't get that part. So I think this kind of helped, it did both ways in that it's, you know, lovingly mocking the genre creating a metaphor for it, and then still delivering a lot of the parts that people like, like uh, the comedy or the horror elements. You know, the, And the boobs. The iconography for each of those, like we talked about, Pinhead and horror. You know, like those, they liked looking at and things, but they might not have gotten the overarching implications. Maybe I think the audience is smarter than you do. Yeah, apparently I'm talking to a bunch of dummies out there. Um, <laughs> Unlike our audience. Oh, right. Incredibly yeah. smart. Yes. <laughs> Chris, we talked about Chris Hemsworth comes back to the cabin and says we have to stick together and they're like, damn it! And then Bradley Whitford injects some decision reversal gas <laughs> into the cabin. Then they split up. To be clear, if you haven't seen the film, he, his, his, he walks past a vent that is at head level and visible gas comes out of it and he turns around. Nobody's like, huh, right at the moment where that gas sprayed you, you then changed your mind into a stupid direction. Then Holden, the uh, nerdy character who's also a jock, says, yeah. And Fran Kranz or Marty goes, really? And later they say, like, why isn't this guy dumb? He should be incapacitated with the weed we laced. And that's another thing that they don't, they said, oh, the weed's been blocking everything we've been sending at him. They said, they made it sound like they sold him the pot or they yeah. you know, sent out a dealer and then they're saying, no, it's actually blocking, like, chem chemistry screwed up. And I'm like, wait, what? Did they just screw it up? Or did he have a different stash that he brought along? Like, that was another one that I could have used one line to explain 
why he yeah. was immune. If weed blocks it, like why have, why would they start lacing something and not know the effects? Right. It? So yeah. that just sounded like sloppy work on their part, or that he switched it out, you know, with something he already had. The whole drugs were a good thing. Like, it's sort of a side note, but like that has happened before. Like they did it in the faculty where where drugs were how you tested to see if the person was an alien right. or not. And this is a little different in that the drugs were what made him immune. But like, I'm sort of tired of. They've they've been trying for the last. It's now going on 15 years since Scream came out, where they're saying, "Oh, we're going to undermine uh, the expectations of the main girl, the final girl being a virgin, and like drugs are bad. Like we're going to say that those things are okay." And I'm like, I I get that that's what you're going for, but you we've we heard about this in the late 90s. Like it's no longer. It's like saying, "Oh no, the black guy gets killed first. That doesn't happen anymore. So stop making a point of it. Right. Stop trying to hammer down my head that, like, drugs are okay as long as you're not an addict. Um, I get it. It's, you've been telling me that for the last 15 years. That's why Stop you it. casually use drugs now. Right. So, um, <laughs> so they split up. They go into different rooms. Uh, the stoner guy accidentally knocks over a lamp or something. Yeah. And he finds the camera, which is... You could have done this, like I had said earlier in, in the podcast, that could have been how the film was... Like, a big divide, where yeah. up until this point it was a horror movie, and then he sees the camera, and then we pull back and meet uh, Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford for the first time. Which would have been an interesting thing to do. I don't think it's a better decision. Uh, well, it would have been sort of the reverse of Sunshine, which was, it was a sci-fi movie for like 90 minutes, and then suddenly it became a horror movie with right. space zombies. It was a space ghost man. <laughs> I actually really liked uh, Sunshine, and I liked that turn, because it was really surprising, and I... I thought they handled it, but it was a sharp left turn, and a lot of people don't like the movie because of that. By the way, spoiler alert for Sunshine. I don't know if it's <laughs> no, too late for that. It's still a good movie to watch, but that did buck me in terms of like just tone and what the goals were by the end of that movie. So that's a different movie. Uh, that's another podcast, but uh, I liked that, and I would have liked it in this film, but I what they did was also good, and I, I don't fault them for that. But in any case... I thought what they, the way they handled it was more refreshing. Okay. So um, Then as, he's try, as he sort of talks to himself, this is the scene we were talking about where he's standing by the window, then the zombie grabs him and drags him off. We assume, we, he dies off camera, which usually means the character's gonna come back, but they pull the lever. Bradley Whitford confirms that he's dead, and they have cameras everywhere to the point where when the two people are making out, there's a camera right there on the ground level, so why did they not know that he was not dead? The only thing I can explain that with is he went in the hole that leads to the elevator, and when the zombies first came out, I'm like, really? They just climbed out of the ground? But no, they came up in an elevator, we find out. I'm like, oh, that's actually a little better. So when he runs off, he disappears. It's into that hole, I guess. And then second off... I guess it's not clear that it's that, that is... I mean, I thought he was just going over a ridge. If he was going into that hole, they should have done something with that location to right. make sure I recognized it when we came back to that location. When they came back later and the chopped up zombie was there, I was like, oh, that's where he fell into or they dragged him to. Um, and he got the upper hand on him. But the main problem I had where I agree with you is they, we see when they first arrive at the cabin, they have heart monitors on them. They know the vitals of these people. And yet they can't tell that he's dead. They shouldn't have gone, hey, his heart's still going over are here. Not, are you confusing this with The Hunger Games? This happened no, in the movie? In I the just... movie, they, they are partying. They're all getting beer and everything. And they said, we're good. They're all spiking and they're all the right tones. And they have heart monitor picture of each of them and a heartbeat readout for each of them. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. If they And again, one line could have handled this where he gets stabbed with the, the spike or the shear through the back and it stabs it through hit whatever. It the monitor, yeah. It hits whatever. I invented that one <laughs> monitor right there. And they go, oh, there it goes. 
Um, and even we could have even seen him being dragged off and screaming, even though the and that could have told us that the heart the monitor was compromised rather than him actually being dead. But yeah, they confirm his kill, and I'm like, that was another thing that made me feel like these guys running this corporate uh, thing felt again similar to Dollhouse, where they're not very good or like <laughs> this is a big multi-billion-dollar investment, and these guys are kind of like doing tequila shots and everything like that, which does. Don't get me wrong, that's the way our government, I think, really works. <laughs> uh, but for, you know, big money-making corporations and things, and we keep saying corporation when it's not established. Th this could be a branch of the government whose just job is to keep Earth from exploding, you know, and that's how important it is. But you would think they would lock it down a little more <laughs> and be like, you know what, we're just going to drive them out there and throw them into the thing and then lock it off, you know, instead of, oh, for some reason the tunnel is still open, you know. Like, a lot of things seem well, left to chance. Well, he did have to, like, hack into the elevator. Like, he did have to put a lot of energy into getting into it. And right. he was missing for a couple hours, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm fine but, with him breaking in. I'm just wondering why it's not run more professionally and them not knowing he was dead. Them not blowing... They make a lot of mistakes on this one day that is the most important. <laughs> and we've seen the other countries go down, like, fall. They know they're almost the last line of defense and then ultimately the last one. Right. But then they uh, they think he's dead, so they all run for the RV. But I don't think anyone in the audience bought it. No. And when they get in the RV, there's the bloody handprint on the door. Which I assumed was the stoner guy. Oh. I thought he had gotten away, and, and they, he was going. it was going to be a fake scare that he was going to... Someone's going to grab someone's shoulder, and they're going to go, ah! And they turn around, and it was Fran, but that's... See, that's, that'd be like a real horror movie there when this is uh, more of a comedy. So they drive out, and the, the tunnel doesn't explode. They finally... Yeah, it wasn't exploded, like you said, because the company's they're full inept, of, apparently. Full of a bunch of drunks and <laughs> layabouts. So they, uh, Richard Jenkins runs down and reconnects and solders everything and blows it up uh, just in time. Then Chris Hemsworth goes to jump the bike, and it was, like, really obvious what was going to happen because we had seen the hawk fly into it, yeah. which... Felt a little excessive. The hawk flying into it in the trailer was, oh, there's something wrong. Here it's like, why was that there? And it was only to set up what was going to happen when he gets this bike off the RV and revs it up. I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's not that level of suspense it's, like you were it, talking about. It was not suspense because it's not a question of, because he's the character making the decision as yeah. to whether he's going to jump or not. So we, the only reason it was sort of suspenseful because I was like, well, we know what's going to happen, so they have to undermine this, right? Like, someone's going to say, hey, wait, don't do that, or they're gonna, a bird's going to crash into it, or something. Like, there's some reason they're dragging this out. But yeah. nope, they just... It's like they thought we had forgotten the hawk had yeah. crashed into the it thing. it was very obvious and very recent in our minds and very standout-ish. Uh, it was more dramatic irony in us knowing something the character doesn't. But again, you can do the dramatic irony and cut two minutes out of that scene. It was right. weird. Uh, the one thing I will say is that it looked really awesome when he slammed into that and his body assembling. The CGI on that was fairly impressive. Even though it made me wonder, each time he hits it, it's all sparking. I'm like, is it electrified? And it was a bit Iron Man-y. Um, and then he kept hitting the water. I was like, why is it art? Yeah. Is this a large dome? They're in a bubble that goes even around under the ground? That, that's sort of, it's got to be the only, because I was wondering that too. I was like, why? He should hit it once. Yeah. And I understand they wanted to hit it a couple times just so that they understood and we understood that there was something there. Yeah. But, yeah, it didn't... I had to imagine it went all the way over them like a dome and then even under the, the rock. And made uh, it a bubble. Yeah, and yeah, so... I guess that's something. It kind of made sense. What did not is that they went, what was that? I don't know, let's get back in the RV. I'm like, 
No, seriously, I would be like, what was that? Let's throw rocks at it and just try and figure this out. Yeah, exactly. Like the the lack, and again, they get dumb gas, so maybe that's what that was, but they get back in the RV and they're going to go back, and I'm like, this is now just a stupid idea for a stupid idea. And I'm, he's saying, like, calm down, and she's, like, puppeteers and figuring it out. But he's like, don't say that. I need you to keep together. So she, like, is silent just to keep him from freaking out. But this whole time, I'm like, there was a bloody handprint on the door. Die already. <laughs> like, uh, not suspenseful of just me knowing what was going to happen. The only reason that surprised me was because I was so expecting Marty, the stoner, yeah. to, to grab his shoulder. <laughs> but when he got stabbed through the neck, I was like, oh, that's a... Uh, that's a real... Wow. I did not guy. think that was going to happen. <laughs> but they crash into the water, and she uh, swims up, and everyone in the control room starts celebrating. There was actually a really awesome underwater shot of her swimming up, and it being, like, all grayed and fogged out. It's very similar to a shot in... Nightmare on Elm Street when she gets pulled, Nancy gets pulled into yeah, the, the bathtub, uh, and then obviously it's a nightmare, so the bathtub is a giant lake or whatever. Right. And then when she comes out, it's very reminiscent of Friday the Thirteenth, uh, when Jason, in the first one, when Jason's a child comes out of the water for the first time, um, or the rather the girl who survived comes out of the water in the same way where Jason didn't. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of quick, I don't Homages. know if they're references, but yeah, I mean it, it sort of calls to mind those kinds of movies. And she's alive, and they start celebrating it. And this whole time, I was like, "I know the stoner's alive." You're yeah, and either I, because I the don't... trailer ruined it, or because he died off screen. Yeah, like... I'm sort of like fifty fifty on if I hadn't seen the trailer, would I know that he was alive? But then, and then there's a, there's a lot of celebrating. There's a lot of discussion about, "Hey, we finally got this." And then Bradley Whiffer gets the phone call. It's like, "Wait, there's someone alive." What I wanted to happen was because they had the monitors in the background. I really wanted just a a deep shot where we're seeing characters in the foreground, and in the background, the stoner guy shows up and starts fighting the monster, and nobody's noticing. Right, and it's and, just silently going in the background, it. yeah. And, and then he gets a call. Instead, they cut to, after he after Bradley Whitford gets the phone call, they cut to the lake, and they try to do a horror scene. And it's actually, I know you're not happy with the horror in this, I thought it was a, an effective scene, except that I knew it was happening. Right, I like, knew she wasn't going to die, and I knew he was going to show up and save her, because yeah. we already learned he was still alive, so the, it was just killing time for the me. The only just... Not, just not killing time, like, <laughs> it's time to kill her. It's just winding down the clock of when's he going to get there. The only the only justification for it was that it was a cool shot when the guy, when the monster is, is swinging his bear trap around, and the stoner holds up his bong, and, and the chain wraps around the bong. I was like, ah, that's kind of funny. But, like, that does not justify the... The way the scene should have been is that we should have discovered when the other characters weren't noticing, and it would have allowed the audience to, at different points, notice what's going on in the background. Yeah. And we would have we would have discovered it organically, and then the phone call happened, and then he turns around, and the, and, and the film camera zooms in on the monitors or something to clarify to anybody who hadn't picked up on it at that point. That would have been a much more effective way of doing it, and instead... Cutting to the, at this point, cutting to the standard slasher movie style attack and rescue was not inspired it, enough. Yeah, it just it didn't it didn't convey again. Going back to the real villains, it was they made it. They tried to go back to this horror trope, which I'm like at this point we're we're beyond that. Yeah, it could have been a lot more if they had just done it that way in the background and not and then had the phone ringing and the phone ringing and then him realize it, you know, and then they say look at the monitor and he's like oh crap. That part and him finding the camera, like reality cam, in the broken lamp. Bradley Whitford goes, oh crap. And he's like, oh, don't worry, Jedediah Buckner's to the save. I thought there was going to be a problem with him 
acknowledging the camera. I thought there were viewers, you know, like either if they were viewers in the real world or somewhere, they would be like, oh, don't reference the camera. You're breaking the fourth wall. Like those level of things uh, made me wonder. And the call from upstairs was part of that where I'm like, oh, all right, someone's watching this. And they said that with the topless scene, they said they like it downstairs. So it felt to me like this is a manufactured product they're putting out. Even if it's not being distributed to theaters, it's going to, you know, whoever's downstairs and upstairs as viewers. So maybe they'll be pissed off if there's a reference to the cameras or things like that. So that was another element to where when they got the call, I'm like, well, who's watching this if they're not even watching the monitors anymore? Right. Like, who's watching along and where did they get the information that he's still alive because it's not on the cameras yet? So they go into panic mode then, and yet he brings her back to the hole where he dismembered the zombie and uh, has found the elevator and they disappear into the elevator. Like, they power up the elevator and go downstairs and at that point... It becomes a wonkovator and goes sideways. Yeah. <laughs> I thought of the word wonkovator. Um, I really kind of wish that, like if they're going to make one cultural pop culture yeah. reference, I really hoped that one of them was going to say wonkovator and neither of them did. I yeah. was sad about that. Uh, but then the uh, werewolf comes up to the glass and that level like even though they had the betting on the wall and they had them talking about merman and the winning bets and everything like that i hadn't pieced it together that they had them on hand i thought it was whatever one of those elements they picked up like the totems in the basement would have summoned them and i still felt even though i saw the elevator and everything i still had thought that the zombies rose from the ground because of the incantation right but then we see we see the hellraiser buzzhead guy and uh like i said he had felt like he had a lot of gravitas and then the ballerina who I assume is the sugar plum fairy was on the board right and, and they, they had he had a music box right with a ballerina so those uh, elements were really scary and they pull back to it being this big cavalcade storage of uh, horror elements or monsters yeah and I mean that was supposed to be a reveal because like you I had not realized oh they're they're on to, hand yeah to be I, like I thought they would appear and then uh, oh they have a zoo of monsters yeah. Um, which, I, I'm i sorry, are you saying that that's a bad thing? I, no, I was saying that that's a big that, reveal. And I it was thought, an effective reveal. Yeah, I that changed the way I thought about it up to that point because I still felt like the magic of the zombies rising, like when she said that, wasn't jiving as much. It's fine that they're zombies and they reanimate, like, but for whatever reason, summoning them, I had the problem with. I, that's weird. I didn't have a problem with it, but I like what they did, too, yeah. so I... Either way, it worked for me. Uh, but what I had a problem with was that they just disappear off the grid when they go into the elevator. You know, like, you would think that's the one place they have a lot of cameras and things. Is like, we need to know where our monsters are at all times. <laughs> uh, they do eventually find them. So they look at each camera and the Truman, their security guy, goes there. And uh, they spot them and they're like, okay, we can clean this up. But just the fact that when they get into the elevator shaft and they're hot wiring it, I was like, you didn't spot them there. They're just off the grid now. No right. one's ever thought of this. Or Putting like, a camera in there. Yeah. Then they send the SWAT team, which calls in... Let me correct you there. They send one guy with a pistol to open oh, up I their elevator. He was, I thought he was just the guy at the other end of the elevator. Um, I thought every once in a while, like, Bradley Whitford would have to go upstairs. I thought he was just the elevator guard. No, I mean, what I read that as is they're in an elevator. They're in, they get moved down, and actually the wide shot revealing all the monsters, and there was actually a robot, killer robot in there. Uh, I didn't see that when I really want to watch the movie again yeah. to catch that. Well, I was, I'm like... I guess they're a killer. They're a killer robot movies, but it looked like BattleBots level of robot. <laughs> but I felt like they got moved into a slot and then were just put in storage That's wherever the zombies would go. And I'm like, well, now you're screwed. You're just gonna rot in there, like starve in there, because the zombies would stay forever. 
and you're in their slot. Uh, so I thought the one guard, they had figured out what one they're in, and then I'm like, oh, either just flood it with gas or something. But no, they call it up to what I assume is the prep area, and one guard runs up, and he's got a pistol. And I'm like, I guess if, if it's an urgent thing, like you got to kill him in the next you know 20 minutes before the sun rises, sure, that guard's closest. But it was still kind of leaving it to chance. But now, that calls a giant logic hole, which might actually be the biggest one. If that guy can kill the Marty, the stoner... And that counts. Why don't you just shoot each of them in the back of the head every yeah. year? Now, they said that they have to choose the monster or whatever. Why don't you just get a bunch of people together, if you can brainwash them or whatever the hell they're doing, and have them say, call in a, you know, a, a bomb threat, and then have the cops come and shoot them. Like, it, it seems like there would be a lot of more direct ways than, than scary monsters, where at least the person doing the killing is someone you have control over. Uh, that seems like that would be valid. So you don't, because clearly where a lot of this went wrong was they had the zoo of monsters. Right. Um, that seems like a weird line they have to walk in that they're like, no, it has to be done this ritualistic way. We can push them. And they even say they're taking bets on which monster they're going to call in. But he says it has to be their choice. They get in that cellar and they make a choice. That was just about the gambling. She's like, or the security guard's like, isn't this wrong if you know, if you're fixing the outcome? And he says it's still their choice, and it has to be, but they don't cover the rules of how they have to die, even though if they could shoot them in the back of the head, it would be problematic. The fact that the guard doesn't shoot them, maybe he can't. Like, they're trying to get her no, to kill Marty. Because when the SWAT team shows up, they say kill Marty first. Okay. Yeah, no, this uh, it, it's clear that then, the SWAT team can kill Marty and everything will be fine. Then I got nothing. I had thought if uh, Dana killed him, it, she's a character within the world of the zombies. It'd be like a horror movie where one of them turns evil or something. Yeah, eats yeah. Jason's heart and then becomes the next <laughs> Jason. I don't know why. Write that down so that we can pitch it to New Line tomorrow. Nice. <laughs> that was one of the ones ends with. Did that happen? Someone uh, ate Jason's heart. Well, in two or something or three, the guy that. One of the attackees survives, but he just becomes the new Jason. He stabs the girl at the end and then takes the mask. Uh, and then in, like, six or whatever, one of the ones where they started Jason X or messing with the name, um, they have all these pieces, and the, there's medical examiners looking at them, and then the heart starts beating, and he's fascinated by it, and he picks it up and eats it, and then he becomes the new Jason. It, it, it does not make sense. <laughs> Nothing about Jason makes sense. It's the worst. Like, at least Freddy sold his soul. Michael Myers is like the thorn child or something they invented by the fifth one. Jason drowned in a lake. He's a little kid. He's a special needs kid that drowned in a lake. I'm sort of fine with that kid being angry and killing everyone. He is angry, but why is he no longer 12 years old? Did, and he worked... He was a 12-year-old, like, 80-pound kid who drowned. He comes back... Uh, a couple years later, and he's been working out under the water all this time. There's a lot of pressure when you and look And he, he liked hockey? I don't think they covered him liking <laughs> hockey. He f did people just lose this equipment in, oh, my machete fell over and my hockey mask. So in the, he picked up refuse on the bottom of the lake? They never covered that crap. Not but, in this movie. But ultimately, they get out of the elevator. Whether that guard was going to kill him, you, we established the SWAT team could kill him, so he should have. But uh, there was another humorous element where the hand distracts him, and then... Uh, Marty even ran out and says, thanks, zombie hand. And Which got the hilarious. biggest laugh yeah. in the theater. Yeah. Uh, they then get to the control room, and the SWAT team's trying to kill them, and I was like, just start pushing buttons, and I was waiting for it because I knew saw the buttons there, and that part was one of the more gratifying things is when they just unleashed everything. Because we talked about how now, why do the they zombies... have eight 
elevator shafts that all lead to monster horror? They have to. I, I don't know if they have handlers or tasers where they think, like, if we get one monster at a time, we're okay. Maybe they have enough, like, Ghostbuster power packs that they're going, they can keep them in line one at a time. But they do have a big purge button that just unleashes holy hell. What? Why would you have that button? Why is that a button that they have? Because it's funny. So, like I said, this was the most gratifying part of the movie because I was waiting for it the whole time. I'm like, really? You have this whole stable of horror things and you went with the zombies, which I really like, but these ones didn't pull it up. Finally, they unleash everything. And I'm like, yes. The movie certainly built and I thought that was great. Like, I didn't actually see it coming until I saw the big red button and I was like, why do they have a big red button? But then it happened and it was... It's horrifying. I, this is where you, I think we greatly diverge. As the monsters are eating everybody, like there's some uh, surprising moments that are sort of funny, where like somebody gets tripped or, or slips on the, blood, or the unicorn. The unicorn kills people. Okay, the unicorn. Hilarious. The unicorn impaling the guy is clearly a joke and a right. reference to those toys. But uh, the angry unicorn. Okay. Uh, there's toys where there's like a guy in a suit that right. looked like that guy impaled by a unicorn. Right. But the the tentacle thing grabbing somebody or the bat shit, the bats eating people, like most of them were pretty horrifying. They, were, they, they sort of went back and forth and it was not quite schizophrenic, but it was, I was still, I was vacillating between horrifying and, and laughing. Uh, but I, at no point did I think that this was a comedy. It was still gross that they were doing these things. I think that they vacillated so quickly that it undermined the horror. Like, one of the best parts is that the monitors at that point are just showing scenes from different horror movies. There's the Hellraiser guy, like, disemboweling people. Then you got the people in weird Japanese masks with lipstick pouring gasoline on people. And it just looks like a number of other horror movies are playing in the background, similar with the Japan feed that's been going on the whole time. It looked though, like the ring. Yeah, that even though they failed and had a humorous outcome of all the children singing. They turned the, the girl into a frog. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, friendship overcame. But uh, all of these elements are going on so much so that none of them had the time to sink in, I think. Like, they then, like, come the out of The fact that they didn't sink in, though, to me, it really was, like a horror movie version of Saving Private Ryan. Like, you don't process everything at the beginning of that movie in that in that uh, Storming of Normandy or whatever, but it's it's frightening and, and terrifying and stuff. That's what this was to me. Like, it, they were instead of Nazis, it was specific monsters, and a lot of them were references to characters that you'd seen yeah. before. But I felt like that was mostly, it, it contributed to the horror because I processed it faster, that I was like, Hellraiser, okay, I know what Hellraiser does. Freddy, I know what Freddy does. I know what the Strangers do. I know what, uh, you know... I'm sure there's others that if you went back through right. you'd be like, okay, I, I know each one of those movies. I might have been too busy playing Pick the Movie Trivia <laughs> uh, to actually think, oh, this is scary. Um, they the, Ultimately, a bat creature crashes through the, the safety glass and they have to leave. And then, Which the bullets don't get through, but the bat creature does? It's, uh, it's supernatural. Come on. Okay. Uh, so they leave and there's just painted blood on the walls, the floor, and everything. Like Which to me is horrifying. It's The, the level of it, they pushed it enough to be like Tarantino-like. So... Uh, in the shining, the elevator door opens yes. and the blood pours out. That you you crack up with that. That I think in the shining, within the context, that is pretty horrifying, and it's so drawn out over time that that's one crazy psychological thing that happens uh, in a very slow-paced film. That yeah, that's pretty frightening. But the level of it here is a reaction shot of cut, and there's just a stack shot of like three zombies eating uh, some innards, and then I had no. Cause but to laugh, the, chuckle. I'm the exact opposite. The static nature of it made it more horrifying to me. That it was that 
that this was so mundanely done. Look how gross it is. Ah, it, it, punctuated by unicorn stags. So uh, okay, that was in the middle of the terror stuff. That's funny, but I don't think it. I think it was a, a release of tension, not a. Okay. They ultimately cut back into the control room where they're being compromised, and the security guy has a pistol. And, like, Scarecrow men burst in, and he's shooting. And I was like, really? All this time, we've been waiting for that guy to protect, lock this room down. And he has a 9mm pistol. And then I think they even cut to uh, Bradley Whitford or Richard Jenkins has at least, like, a, a Tech 9 assault rifle, you right. know. And I'm like, why did the security guy not have But he gets <laughs> And then he has a grenade. Yeah, he pulls a grenade and blows up the Scarecrow men. Uh, finally, the most, the best culminating part is Bradley Whitford gets, com uh, the grenade knocks him onto the ground and he's ears ringing, rolling around and he sees something approaching him and I could just tell it was going to be a merman. <laughs> and I thought that like mu angel choir music was going to play. I'm like, oh, and he finally gets to see one. And then it was hilarious because it was a hideous, ugly, just poorly done like rubber suit level of uh, shark fish monster. To where, uh, he, and he even says, oh, really? And then gets eaten by it, and it blows blood out its blowhole, <laughs> even as another joke in this comedy. Uh, See, I thought the, oh, really, was not the disappointment, but I thought he was recognizing the irony that he was going to get eaten by the thing, that he was like, holy crap, I've been talking about this for the last, like, for years in the context of the film, and, uh, oh, man, I'm going to get hoist by my own petard. I think it works on two levels then. Okay. So, but uh, I also was not sure if the merman would show up. Like, I wondered if it was going to be a, a, a noodle incident kind of thing where we would never see it and, like, a mermaid would come out or something like that. Like, like where we, we everybody in the audience assumed yeah. the merman was coming there. I thought they were going to undermine that. It would be funny if something s s wetly slaps its feet up and he goes... Really? And then Richard Jenkins has to, no, that's a swamp monster. That's a swamp thing. <laughs> Damn it! As he's killed. Right. That also would have been effective. But either way. So, uh, either way, Richard Jenkins and Amy Acker are working on a trapdoor that involves a combination of code to get out. She gets lashed up by a giant snake from the ceiling. So Richard Jenkins finally makes it down into the basement level of this and uh, gets stabbed by Dana as he rounds a corner. Yeah, which I don't know how they got down there. Uh, they jumped through the hole in the wall. It's, yeah. It's it's a little bit of a coincidence, but it was third act of the movie, whatever. Go ahead. And, I mean, it feels like a fated thing like this. He says, kill him uh, to her about Marty. And she looks like she actually takes that to heart. And she's like, oh, maybe I should. With no real reason or cause, like... As far as they know, from their perspective, these are the bad guys. Right. And he's like, kill him. He seems like a kindly old father figure, so maybe his words carry more weight. But he doesn't say something like, kill him, it's the only way to stop this, or, you know, you have to kill him to save us all, or to save everyone. Any of these would have been, again, one more line they could have added and would have justified her reaction. And then Marty hands her the gun and says, this is easier. And she looks at it, and you're like, oh, she might just shoot him. Which is setting up a little later, she's about to, but... In that turn, I was like, this doesn't make sense for her to be pondering. I didn't feel like she had... Uh, to me, I didn't read that. I read her as just really confused. Okay. But then, when he handed her the gun, and she looked at him, I was like... Maybe. Now, I, as the audience... I By this point, when Sigourney Weaver comes out in a few minutes and explains everything, by this point, I had figured out. Like, I understood. Because right. they, they had alluded to they the whole plot. They said downstairs that the old ones, we have to appease. Yeah, and they said that the girl... You know, everything was done because the girl can live or die. Yeah. Like... Because they said that to the security guard, right. so it was it was pretty clear that he needs to be killed in order to appease something. Right. Um, now it wasn't clear at that point whether 
they had a legitimate reason or whether they were just crazy. Right. That that is not clarified until Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, comes the up. old ones or whoever they were referring to downstairs could be like perverted old dudes that finance this whole thing. Right. But because I understood that he needed to die, I sort of am halfway towards believing her, even though I shouldn't, because she doesn't know all the things that right. I know. And no. I think it's a little bit of a cheat on the filmmaker's part, because they know the audience understood understood that. Yeah. We are like, yeah, you have to kill him. She, it could have been read as her, like, processing the horror of she just stabbed a real person instead of the zombies and people they've been shooting. Right. So it could have been supposed to read that way, but have the double meaning of us projecting uh, having to kill him. But they end up going out, and uh, Sigourney Weaver shows up. Yeah, they wind up in, like, the central cult area, which yeah. is weird that they, well, again, happen to find it. It's culminating part of the movie and yeah. understands, and it felt like, at this point, to be fated, kind of, that they yeah. would end up there, or some kind of fate, death, <laughs> some, or felt like some kind of destiny that they're, you know, the ones there to uh, right. buck the system, and because he was talking about bringing down humankind or society in the beginning. Right. And so it's coming full circle. Sigourney Weaver says, there are gods. Sigourney Weaver comes out, and this is a, clearly a meta thing, that, like, it's a reveal, and we've never seen this character before, and if you don't happen to know who Sigourney Weaver is, now no one going into this movie is not going to know who Sigourney oh, Weaver is. Oh, when she was on the phone or whatever, she made an announcement, and I was like, Sigourney Weaver's in this? <laughs> I didn't recognize her voice, but I do remember you saying that. And then she comes out, and I'm like, that's weird that that... You're making this a reveal, but there's nothing about her that when you watch this movie 40 years from now and we've forgotten who she is, like, she needed something in her costume design or something that told us she was the big boss. Well, even, she had gloves on. She had long gloves, so there you go. <laughs> um, and, I mean, she felt like the director of the corporation or whatever, but she didn't feel, like, I was wondering if she had powers or something in this world where all these nightmares and things i'm like can she do something and that's why she's in charge or is she just a button pusher although you talked about it being a reveal for her i mean she's ripley like which is a sci-fi space horror movie but doesn't read as the cleanest like horror reference like if it were jamie lee curtis walking out i'd be like yep she always plays the you know was right. the last the virgin and the last girl so it would Arguably, she's gone downhill, and like H2O did that same thing where they revisited it with her, and it was terrible. H2O so wasn't bad. It, it at least was bad enough to where I'm like, no, Sigourney Weaver has a lot more weight. Also, she was in a Joss Whedon movie because he wrote Alien Resurrection. Well, there you go. They know each other. <laughs> that's why he's always using the same people. Um, she explains that essentially there are gods that will just rain down hell upon humanity, and they have to be appeased. And all of the things that have ever been in horror movies or are nightmares or just things are essentially the titans who are mid-level, you know, gods that have powers but are not as strong. And they are used each of these times in the sacrifices to kind of appease the gods. So it read as this interesting take, uh, like a pantheon, again, of horrors or nightmares that permeate uh, all different cultures because they had the Japanese, the German... No, I'm a little confused. This is where a little bit of the metaphor bothers me. All of this... <clears throat> this is where I run into a problem with the metaphor because she's clearly... She's called the director because she's the director of a corporation that she's also the director of the film. Right. And we, uh, the audience, are supposed to be the, the people that are... You know, the gods that are demanding these sacrifices. And then she outlines the five basic types, which is the... Like we said at the beginning... The jock, the nerd, the goofy guy, the slut, and the and the uh, virgin. But that type, those five types, 
that's basically an invention of the 70s starting around the time that like Texas Chainsaw came out. Like that has not been around if you really wanted to shoehorn like Dracula in, like Dracula kind of fits, not all of them die, but right. Lucy dies, the American dude dies, uh who's clearly the jock. Uh but even then it's it, there's six of them, not five. But for the most part, it's slasher movies starting at the 70s and going up through the 90s until we started watching hostile movies for whatever reason. Japanese movies don't follow this. The the Ring, the the version of the Ring that they showed with the little girls, which one of those nine year olds was the slut? Like, All of them. I've never <laughs> seen Japanese stuff. No, it, uh, it, right. that that principle does not apply universally, and right. it bothered me. And that part I actually read as this is what's required in our time zone. They were watching Berlin and Japan and all these other ones fail at their own appeasement. They don't have those stone images under their base. They are cracking different vials, and it's, again, the gods... I, I kind of read it as, oh, there's different gods in different areas, but it's all of them, you know what I mean? They have to be appeased just once on whole, and that's why, like, as the day is... the sun is coming up in each time zone, we're apparently... the West Coast is getting to be the last one you know, and Which so it already came up be in one Japan. Hawaii. <laughs> right, yeah, Hawaii is going to have... What is horrifying about Hawaii? Like, oh, no, that terrible waterfall is so beautiful, I'm horrified. Like, what... Oh, no, it's scary surf. Uh, well, tsunamis. So, but the so this probably happened in, in California, is what you're right. saying. Right, so it's the day is dawning over here. Those other ones have failed at their own respective. She's explaining the ones for uh, Western civilization. Now, that timing also doesn't work, because Japan... The sunrise is a good 18 hours before the West Coast here, right. maybe 19 hours. And so uh, there, when they failed, should have happened long before our guys even started. Yeah, it maybe doesn't add up. Maybe theirs isn't sunrise because horror movies over there run a little different. But she said that these five character types, it always has to be these five. So when right. she said always, I took that to mean always everywhere. But uh, I mean, like you talked about, they're... These only go back to the 70s, and then if you went to Greek, you know, tragedies or dramas and things that have horrific elements in them, uh, they wouldn't have those. They might have different archetypes. So that word always, again. <laughs> yeah. She uh, also, she says, I'm not a virgin. She says, we work with what we have, or it yeah. doesn't have to fit, so maybe it's morphed, and it's the basic, you know, if they had the Greek images, which they were kind of, you they, know, they almost looked like cave paintings. Or, yeah, tarot card level of representations. Um, of icons like there might be that level and these five are cast for this area i didn't have as much of a problem with it because i read it as almost a time zone thing or a different culture like that's why they have the different bases that have to appease it was clever a very clever reveal and it satisfied everything i had thought about it being like oh the umbrella corporation you can't really spread around enough crazy for the level of cult it has but if it's a truth that they, you know, universal truth of like, no, these horrifying things will happen, and you're just in the know. And you see them in the in the film. There, there's like a smoky gas, and there's shadows of something down there. Yeah. Like something clearly is horrible. Although there was a giant tentacle monster. There was a monster that we didn't see that was just a tentacle that grabbed somebody at a certain yeah. point. And I was like, what's down there that's that much oh. bigger than the tentacle thing? And I it mean, turned out to be much larger, but still. Yeah, a large hand comes out and smacks down the earth uh, at the end when they fail. You had a problem with we kind of jumped. The decision that they make of oh. her, she's going to shoot the, uh, Marty, and she's like, well, it's for the whole world, and uh, then a werewolf attacks her, and then uh, he's wrestling with uh, Sigourney Weaver, and ultimately the zombie, one-armed zombie comes in. I thought, for some reason, that when the one-armed zombie girl gets off the elevator, I'm like, oh, is 
something redeeming going to happen somewhat like Japan where she's going to, you know, the Dana is going to save her or tell her her father was a jerk and then she's like, <laughs> thanks, and then she become a young girl again and in some way make things right. But no, instead she just hatches Sigourney Weaver's head and they both go over into the abyss uh, and then um, Dana and Marty are sitting there smoking a joint as the world ends. Yeah, I, there was a number of different ways I thought this was going to go. First of all, my main thing was I assumed what was going to happen is that it was going to be revealed that Marty was a virgin and that they were just wrong this right. whole time. Would... That she was the fool, that she was going to say something like, man, I was such an idiot for walking around with a gun. And they were like, wait a second, you're the fool. I'm the virgin because I never had sex with the blonde girl, which was a thing that was you know set up a long time ago earlier in the film. I was like, oh, she's going to die and everything's going to be fine. But that's not what happened, clearly. What happens is the sun comes up, and since they're both alive, the sacrifice has not been completed. And then, like we had mentioned earlier, the giant god hand comes out of the ground, and it really looks like the end of the most recent Wrath of the Titans movie. Yeah. And I really expected Perseus to, like, swing in with his uh, Pegasus and stab the guy. Like, it was, it was really... It looked remarkably similar. I don't know if you saw the... I didn't see that, but it did feel like that, or God of War, to the point where, again, felt like the gods and the titans, and they're just like, oh, ancient Greek gods are unleashed. So, uh, I didn't have a problem with it, but it was an odd turn, yeah. and surprising. I don't like how nihilistic that ending is. I don't like the fact that he's willing... Now, he has a point that, hey, society shouldn't sacrifice people, you know, this greater good thing, like that's still wrong to kill people. Like, that's something you can argue, and, and he's making sort of a valid point, but to let the entire world end is not a... Like, that is for sure going to happen. We know that everyone on the planet is going to die so that he could save this girl for 30... Or so that the girl could save him for 30 seconds. That doesn't make sense. And it's... it's it is very much a nihilistic stoner. I'm in college and... Let's let the world end? Everything's corrupt, man. Uh, but... It didn't really have time to sink in for me that way. I almost read it as, well, you're dead either way. So if everyone else goes down, I mean, he says, let's give someone else a try. And I think Sigourney Weaver says, no, you don't get it. This is not just another evolutionary, predominantly species owner on the planet. This is horrifying torture. For Dana and for Marty to let that go, they are now the villains. They are, I no longer like them. I no longer approve of their actions. There's so many other ways this movie could have ended. Like, if they had... If they had decided not to shoot each other and let the movie end there, what could have happened was a magical fairy could have showed up and, and it could have been like, holy crap, why have you been sacrificing people for thousands of years? That's a terrible thing to do. Stop doing that. Finally, finally someone, someone succeeded in not sacrificing people for one whole day or however often they do this cycle. Yeah. Like, that would have been a positive ending. That would have been very lame. Well, okay, not a fucking fairy, but like, something. Uh, but like some lesson of sacrificing people out of out of their own, with without their knowledge is terrible. Or at the very least, he could have said, "Hey, I'm not going to let I'm not going to be forced into a horrible death because these people are sacrificing me. But I will make the choice to sacrifice myself." That's a heroic decision, even though he's doing the same thing. He's still dying to save six billion people. He could make the choice to die, and then he goes from being a sacrificial victim to being a hero who makes a heroic sacrifice. Any of those different variations on this would have been a much more positive, positive ending. Like, I just don't... This ending is so horrible 
I don't see any value in it. Unless you read it entirely metaphorically as, hey, stop watching horror movies. <laughs> like, which I don't necessarily think is valid either. But if that's their point, and, and Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon have said in interviews, this is the horror movie to end horror movies. And that if you read it as a metaphor, that Sigourney Weaver is the director of the film, Drew Goddard, that Richard Jenkins and Bradley right. Whitford are the writers, just like Joss Whedon and Richard and just like Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard, which they have said those characters yeah. represent them. We, the audience, are the titans, and those characters are the characters that we are watching killed, and we want to see them killed in this way over and over and over again, which is what we've been doing since, you know, the 70s and Texas Chainsaw. Maybe we should stop doing that. Maybe we should stop being so desensitized to that violence. If that's, if that's the only lesson, and the lesson is not, people are horrible, we should all die... If they meant it only to be read metaphorically, I can still see this as at least an attempt at a positive message, and you can debate that. But ending the world is not a heroic thing. You're taking a, a strong stance that you are against ending the world. <laughs> yes. I'm, we're getting this on record. If you run for political office <laughs> in the future, this is going to come back to haunt you. Pretty sure you to become president, you have to be okay to ending the world. <laughs> That's why you have the big red button. Yeah. So um, I think it does serve the metaphorical overarching purpose of like, hey, stop demanding blood, you savages, uh, <laughs> or we're going to stop giving it to you. This is a choice of going to stop, uh, regardless of the outcome, if we smack them down uh, for denying us our pound of flesh. Um, and then just from a very literal read of the ending, I think it works for people who thought, hey, boobs and stabbings, of like, yeah, screw the world, man. And then this <laughs> big like hand comes out and smacks the earth. Um, so in that respect, it's just a different ending, you know, so it is kind of refreshing from a, hey, you know what? They, everyone dies, literally. So <laughs> I liked it both ways, the metaphorical and as a different ending of like, yeah, I don't want to sacrifice myself to do the bigger thing. Everyone else can go to hell, literally. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I don't think that's something we should be promoting in our entertainment. You, uh, you give movies too much credit. Nobody pays attention <laughs> to the messages. I, no one, no one single movie affects people that much. But cumulatively, through the culture, it does. It changes the way that we think of things. And I think that this is an addition in the wrong direction. Or it's a product of the culture, and we already think this way. It's just reflecting that. It's a mirror. Or they're both true. Ooh, singer. <laughs> now, I've been down on the movie the entire time. I have to say I enjoyed it all the way through. The ending just turned in a way that I did not like and did not approve of. But beyond that, it's very well written, very entertaining. I feel like the comedy bits were very funny. Unlike you, I thought the horror elements were very scary. I think it was a very well-made movie all, all around. And as much as it sounds like I've been harping on it, I do recommend seeing it because it makes you think, but uh, you should take it with a grain of salt. Do not uh, follow the example set forth in this movie, is what <laughs> Matt is saying. I also feel that this is a great movie, if only because it surprised me. It wasn't what I thought it would be, and they said that. That was the tagline. Uh, and yet, I didn't believe them. I was like, yeah, I know this story. I think I know the story, and they do. Thank you, Mr thinks they're smarter than me. And then they did go a little beyond what we had laid out as the possibilities. They The marketing department has now finally fooled you. Exactly. <laughs> they're by, so excited. By being dumbed down. They gave <laughs> us a dumbed down, watered down version. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what this is. And then it went beyond that. And uh, so I was pleasantly surprised. Enjoyed it throughout. Comedy elements were funny. 
Um, as much as I have said it's not a horror movie or it's closer, uh, it has a large chunk of comedy in it. When I left the theater at late at night, I did look around in the parking garage because my car wasn't where I thought it was <laughs> to wander around. It was dark. The whole structure was like shutting down. So it did give me pause, but I felt like I was manufacturing more horrific scenes in my mind than actually <laughs> happened in that film. So I think for that level, I uh, still feel like a lot of it was more like doing horror movie bits and comedy. And yes, the horror movie bits were done well, but they weren't overall like the weight and level of either fear, suspense, or just outright terror that like true horror movies, that, like we'd mentioned The Shining or Texas Chainsaw Massacre get to. Which is probably why it's being so widely accepted. People that don't like horror movies, I think, will like this movie because it's got elements of the scary in it, but it's not so much that you're just gut-wrenchingly down when you leave or like hostile or anything that's torture porn. So this dance is a fine line between those two, and I think that's going to make it very uh, commercially acceptable and approachable. Conversely, I, I wonder how many people, if you don't like horror movies... How much of it makes sense? Because there's a lot of stuff that just sort of assumes you understand the tropes and the character types and the where the story is supposed to go. Like the stuff that's funny is only funny if you know what the serious version is. And the 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 twists on a on a theme, the the subversions of tropes only work because we know what the trope is supposed to be. So I don't know if I can recommend it to someone who doesn't like horror movies. For as much as I said they need to spell out other things, um, they did call attention to things like the jock being smart when Marty says, why is he calling you Egghead? He's a sociology major. They acknowledge some of the turns they're doing on him. And in terms of the tropes, like, you don't have to be a film aficionado to know that there's a virgin girl that's going to live the end of a a horror movie. Like, anyone who has not just, you don't even have to have seen a horror movie, you have to see any pop culture reference to a horror movie, and that is going to be ingrained in you. So they, I think, will get that, and then... Whether they get the turns on them uh, probably won't make it more successful in their mind. Like Those were a bonus for us, and they, I think, will still like the storyline. Well, if you don't like horror movies and you give Cabin in the Woods a try, send us an email and let us know what you thought of it at toomuchfilmschool at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Like it's, it's hard. The first time we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs>